It's been a few years ago now. Got a phone call from a, a good friend of mine, a, a, minist- a, a missionary friend, Diane. Met Diane in rural Montana through another missionary friend, Tom, and connected with Diane off and on in Washington over the years. Diane became kind of like a spiritual aunt, uh, an older lady who's just always full of encouragement and um, just stories of what God's doing in her life as she travels the globe sharing the gospel. And she called me and she said, Steve, I'm putting together a small team to go to India and to train pastors and their wives how to then go into rural parts of India, all these unreached people groups. There's more unreached people groups in India than in any other country. And I'm putting together a small team to train them to help them do that. And right now we've got one person and she's in charge of, of just like all the administration and making sure we got places to stay and airline reservations and all that. And she's like, and we also have an Indian guy, and he's there to, um, he's trained, he's gone through Bible college, he speaks fluent English, and he'll be there to be the translator. He's also the one who oversees this group of pastors, and he will just continue to train what we teach after we're gone. And right now, I'm just, I need a man who can go and who can teach this. And I think you're that guy. What do you think? Are you interested? And I didn't have to think long. I, well, absolutely, I'm interested. That, that would be great. You know, I had just been to Africa not, not too long before that, Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone's a difficult place. I mean, you go there, you don't have to spend long to know you're in a hard, hard country. And then go to India. And I, I get to India and... It's quite a journey just to get there. And as I'm driving from the city to another city where we're going to be staying, Jaipur, Rajasthan, um, you're driving along and you see gods, literally man-made gods, just sitting on the sides of the road in some places that they will sell to you so that you can bring these gods into your home. And you're seeing the places where people live, and it's, it's rough, it's, it's not like Africa, but it's still rough, okay? It's, it's hard. And, and then you drive by and you see the most amazing temples that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, structures made with diamonds and jewels and rubies and incredible. And these palaces that are just built like it's just out in the middle of the water. You got to take a boat to get there. And it's this gigantic thing and it looks incredible. And I'm on this drive and I haven't started training the pastors yet. And I'm thinking, God, how in the world are you going to use me to reach a people like this? And you know, that, that thought never really occurred in Africa. But in India, I was overwhelmed just by the, the, the godlessness of the place because of all... In fact, I had one conversation with, with the Indian guy there, the, the other guy on the team. And, um, and he said to me, he said, you know, Steve, he's like, I, I used to really um, kind of look down upon America. He's like, because I looked at America and I thought, 
God, why would you be so gracious to America and just forget about us and, and leave our country like this? Why would you do that? He's like, and then it hit me. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've put over 30,000 gods before the one true God. But I was overwhelmed by that place. Much the same way I think Paul might have been overwhelmed by Corinth. Paul had been to some hard places. He'd been to Athens. He had seen a place somewhat that may have been like India to me. He, he had seen some hard, difficult places. But Corinth overwhelmed him. Let, let me show you what I mean. Let's, let's turn Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 22. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 22. This is the exciting conclusion of Paul's second missionary journey. It's the final message of our series. And we'll conclude with part three of Acts following Easter. Okay, so we'll get the third installment. But this morning, we get to see how Paul ends this second missionary journey. And we've traveled with him for a while now. And Corinth won't be his last stop, but it will be his last significant stop. He will make a brief stop in Ephesus, but he won't really spend much time there. So let's go ahead. Let's look at it. And we'll begin Acts 18, 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Achilla, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on and speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was brought about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Okay. 
It sounded so innocent, didn't it? That first line that Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. It sounded really innocent. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. The idolatry and the arrogance of Athens would be nothing more than kind of ripples to Paul. I mean, by the time he came to Corinth, that's when the tsunami really hit. Paul, you go and you read the letters to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and you get the picture a little more. Paul says, hey, brothers, when I come to you, when I came to you, I didn't come with superior, superiority of speech and with wisdom. When I came to you, I came in fear and with much trembling. I came in weakness. Paul said, when I landed in Corinth, I was scared out of my mind. And it wasn't just, it couldn't just be me speaking. I was overwhelmed. I was trembling in fear. Everything that came out of my mouth was of the Holy Spirit. And I had resolved, I just got to preach Christ and him crucified. I got nothing else to say because I'm scared out of my mind here. And this is what he's saying to the Corinthians. This is all he could do. Well, why? Corinth was a favorite of Rome. It was a favorite of Rome for a couple of reasons. It was, it was this cherished city because Rome really valued Greek culture. And since Rome really valued Greek culture, it placed a special emphasis on Greek cities, like Athens, like Corinth. And so it, it got special treatment that way. And so naturally, these cities flourished because Rome is, is pumping economic support into these places. Not only that, but Corinth is located in a very strategic spot. So if you can picture a map of Greece in in your mind, you've got mainland Greece, right? And then out of the uh, southwest, you've got this little isthmus and then this other mass of land, okay? And right across this isthmus, as you get into this other mass of land, that's Corinth, so, so the only way you're getting in and out of like mainland Greece, north-south, is, is you have to go through Corinth. Not only that, Corinth also had two seaports, okay? one, one to the east and one to the west. And so it was a natural place of trade, merchants coming in from all over. There's goods from all over the world, the known world at that time, being uh, sold and bandied about in Corinth. And it was this idyllic paradise too. It was a beautiful place. And so wealthy people gathered there and all kinds of stuff's going on. And we have all this wealth. Um, it comes a lot of time, people who have time on their hands. And when you have wealth and people who have a lot of time on their hands, they have money to do stuff. Well, then you have a huge entertainment industry as well. And Entertainment became such a passion in Corinth that throughout Greece, if you were to call someone a Corinthian, it was a slang term as if to say that you're no good. Okay, you're low down. If you're called a Corinthian, say you, you have no integrity. You're, you're full of lustful debauchery. Okay, in fact, in the Greek plays, whenever a Corinthian shows up, the Corinthian is always portrayed as drunk. Okay, that's how they did. This was the stereotype of the Corinthian. And I mean, Corinth is Paul's problem child. I mean, you, you read the letters to the Corinthians. This, he's got a lot of work to do with this church. And it's always portrayed that way. But it, it gets even worse than that. 
because of the way that worship was practiced in Corinth, okay? All the many gods and the way that worship was, was practiced in, in Corinth. On the hill, there's this hill in Corinth, and on the top of the hill is a temple to Aphrodite, okay? A temple to Aphrodite, and in that temple, there were a thousand priestesses to the goddess Aphrodite, a thousand young ladies who were considered sacred prostitutes. And so every evening, they would go down into the city streets and they would apply their trade. And it was considered by the Corinthians worship when you engaged with these women. This was their worship. And this was just one temple. Okay, there were many others. There was the temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana, and they all did the same thing. This was Corinth. So you can imagine what Paul has just stepped into. The, the, the scenes and the, and the sounds, and this was what was awaiting him. And it seemed as if for a moment, as you read the letters to the Corinthians, that Paul was wondering, what have I gotten myself into? Like, I mean, he's been to hard places, but these people were especially difficult. And how are they going to be reached? And what was his message going to be? And what was he going to do? And how was he going to reach them? And would these people listen to him? Would he be able to make a difference here? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever thought that yourself? Maybe, maybe you walk into a, a situation, maybe your neighborhood, maybe a work environment, maybe a school environment, and you're looking at it, and you're, and you're seeing the way people are living life, and you say, you know, I want to be a light, but I don't know how. How, how can God use me here? If you've ever thought that, I, I think Paul can relate. When he first arrives, Paul, his issues are exposed a little bit. He's, he's, he's probably got some, he's, he's been traveling now for a year and a half. It's been a long time since he's been back home. It is really his home sending church at this point, Antioch, Syrian Antioch. Um, he's running low on funds. He, he needs a job. And there waiting for him is this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. We hear about them later, but... This couple, year, years before, okay, just a couple years before, in AD 49, there was a riot in Rome. Roman historians tell us that the riot took place um, over the controversy of teaching about a man named Crestus. Theologians believe that instead of Crestus, that the Roman historians got one letter wrong, and it should have been Christus. That changes it from an E to an I, which changes the meaning to Christ, which makes some sense, at least to us Christians, because of the controversy over uh, Crestus, Christos, whoever it is, the, um, Claudius, the emperor, he kicks out all the Jews in Rome because this teaching is going around about Jesus and the Roman emperor, he doesn't know, okay, which Jews are believing, which Jews aren't believing. He doesn't care. So he kicks all the Jews out of Rome in AD 49. Achille and Priscilla were some of them, and they end up in Corinth. And so as Paul finds his way to Corinth, there just happens to be right at this right time, this couple there. 
and we see this is a gifted couple. They, they would be the ones who would help train an evangelist named Apollos and, um, and, and really train him in the doctrine so he could be more effective in his evangelism work. But at this moment, this couple is just what Paul needed. I mean, they welcome, into his, welcome Paul into their home. They provide Paul a base for ministry. They help him get a job. They're, they're tent makers just like Paul is. Finances seem to be tight for Paul, and so they're helping. Remember, Timothy and Silas, they haven't even met back up yet. They're still in Macedonia, probably strengthening the church there, as well as trying to gather some funds to be able to complete the second missionary journey. And Paul, he's not able to do this work in Corinth by himself. He just can't do it by himself. Last week in Athens, we saw that the church is not a building, okay? The church is not a building. And this week in Corinth, we also see that the church is not just one man. The church is a body. Paul would explain both these concepts to the first Corinthians in first Corinthians, or in, to the Corinthians in first Corinthians chapter three. In verse 16, he says, Do, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. You hear that? The building is not the temple. You are that temple. But Paul's making another point here. You alone are not the church. That you that he's talking about is plural every time that we we are saved into a body, that we need each other, that it is the members. And if you just have a hand off to itself, it's not going to do much. You just have a toe sitting over here, the toe doesn't really do much. But if you remove any one of those things from the body, all of a sudden the whole body becomes compromised. And Paul, just sitting there in Corinth, he needs people. He needs help. He's not going to be effective. He's at the end of his rope. He needs the church to come alongside him and to encourage him so that he can get doing what he needs to do. And Achille and Priscilla become that for him. But the same is true for us today. We we need each other. We need to benefit from each other's gifts. That I am not complete in Christ, just simply alone in Christ. I haven't been saved for that. I've been saved to gather together with the body, with the church, And by experiencing your spiritual gifts, I grow. And by you experiencing from my spiritual gifts, you grow. This is the way the church works. And we see it. I mean, just these last few days, we've had people, uh, we've we've had wallpaper that's just kind of coming off and didn't look so good. And, And we had people faithfully using their gifts just to take the old wallpaper down and patch the walls and make it look real nice and then paint it. And all of a sudden we walk in, it's like, man, this is a whole new building. We've we've modernized a little bit. It looks nice. And we've got people right now working with our kids in the kids' ministry, giving their gifts to help train the young ones on what it looks like to love God, love Jesus, love others. People every week serving on our, on our greeting team and welcome people in. And hey, here's what it looks like to be hospitable, but yet at the same time, not overbearing. 
We have people working with all kinds of ministries here, using their spiritual gifts to be an encouragement to the community and to reflect the glory of Christ. But we can't do that on our own. We need the body. A church on the move needs each other. A church on the move needs each other. That there are no lone rangers who just say, well, I'm just going to do it my way. No, we come together in unity to say, how can we do this best together? We need one another. Achille and Priscilla are that for Paul. We must be that for each other. And and then Paul's gifts begin to shine again. His gift of evangelism, it's, it's there and you see it. You especially see that passion coming out. I'm, I'm referring over to the Corinthians some this, this um, morning. But beginning in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, you see Paul's just passion for evangelism coming out. In chapter 1, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the wisdom of God is stronger than man's strength. Paul's message to Jews and Greeks is that we start at the same time place. Did you see that? His message is, we start at the same place. And the Jews have a hard time with this because they say, come on, Paul, we've kept all these laws. We've been such good people. How can you say that we start at the same place? And this is a stumbling block to them. And the Greeks say, oh, we're so advanced in our thinking. We've studied and we have all these theories and we've looked into things and we're, we're so wise. Paul, this is foolishness. Do you see it? It is a stumbling block to the Jews and it is foolishness to the Greeks. You know, there's people in the church today, people in the culture today, and they, they think the same way as the Jews and the Greeks. You know, there are people who think just like the Jews. You know, there are sinners. But then there are sinners. You know, I'm a sinner. But thank God I'm not a sinner like that. Those people deserve hell for what they've done. I'm a sinner. But I'm not a sinner. You know what I mean. And Paul says, this sin over here, it's ugly and it's devastating 
and it kills, and it destroys families, and it destroys lives, and it leads to death. But so does this sin. It may not be as obvious. You might not notice it right off, but it does the same thing. Sin kills. We all start in the same place. Sinners in desperate need of God's grace, which has been delivered to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And then there's the Greeks. And these people, they still exist today too. And they think, you know, hey, the Bible's a nice book. The church is a good place, you know. You can meet some good friends there. You can learn some stuff about morality. That's good. But don't push it too far. Okay, don't get all fanatical on us. Okay, don't, you know, you want to open your Bible on Sunday. That's good. You start reading it every day of the week. I start to wonder about you. Okay. Don't, don't push it too far. Okay, there's, there's some weird stuff in there. See, the same thinking still exists today. It's a stumbling block to some. It is foolishness to others. But for those of us who believe it is the power of God to salvation, it is the only way. We all start in the same place. doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. It does not matter how uh, religious your parents were. No matter how, what kind of background you come from, we all start in a place that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, a Savior given to us through Jesus Christ. And Paul, he's trying to win both Jews and Greeks, and he is preaching this message. And then Silas and Timothy, they return from Macedonia, and Paul, he just at that time focuses in on the Jews when they, when they get back. Did you see that? But they reject the message. The Jews reject the message. It is a stumbling block to them. And, and then in the text it says, did you catch it? It says that Paul shook out his clothes and said, your blood be on your own heads. Did you catch that? Do you know where that comes from? Because the Jews would have known what Paul was referring to. It comes from a passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 33. I want to read it to you. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Son of man, speak to your countrymen and say to them, when I bring the sword against the land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not take warning and the sudden sword comes down and takes his life, his blood will be on his own head. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning, his blood will be on his own head. If he had taken warning, he would have saved himself. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, that man will be taken away because of his sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. 
Paul was the watchman to the Jewish people. He was the one blowing the trumpet, sounding the alarms, warning the people, judgment is coming. That when God comes next time, he won't come as a baby in a manger. He'll come as a lion of Judah with the sword. He's going to make all things right. He's coming as judge next time. And they blasphemed what Paul said. And Paul said, I sounded the trumpet. I set off the alarm bells. I've given you the warning. I've told you he's coming. I've done what I was sent to do. I was the watchman on the wall, letting you know, pleading with you, begging with you that there is a way of escape. And now your blood is on your own head. Will you be that watchman on the wall for the people in your life? Will you be the one to sound the trumpet? Will you be the one to ring the alarm bells? Will you be the one to tell the people in your neighborhood or your workplace that there's a judgment coming, but there is a way of escape? That the good news of the gospel is not this gospel of fear. There's fear there, sure, but it is a gospel of hope. It is a good news that while we were lost, Jesus came for us that he didn't leave us to wander and grapple in our sin, that he came and rescued us, that he provided a way of escape. Will you tell people in your life the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come for them? The Jewish resistance, it continued to grow against Paul. Paul stayed there ministering there in Corinth for a year and a half. And it continued to grow, this resistance, to the point where they put Paul on trial. All the Jews gathered together. They take him before Gallio. And and by this time, you you get the idea that uh, Paul, he would have been ready to jump right in. That he's on trial and Paul's ready just to kind of jump in. I imagine he would have turned the conversation to the gospel one last time. Let me sound the alarm one last time. But Gallio doesn't even give him the opportunity. He just jumps in. He says, I, I, I don't want to hear this case. We're not getting into your matters. This is, this is not for us. Paul said that when he arrived in Corinth, he arrived with fear, with trembling But then he was encouraged by the church. He was encouraged by Priscilla, Achilla. And and he began doing just what Paul does. In every city he went to, he began sounding the alarms, blasting the trumpet, sharing the gospel. Now, a year and a half later, as he's on trial, you get the idea he's not backing down from anything. When he arrived, he arrived in weakness and in fear with much trembling. Later in 2 Corinthians, he would write that Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. I think he realized as he looked back and just took account of it all, that when I got to Corinth, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. I was overwhelmed. I could do nothing but preach Christ in him crucified. And now as he has time to reflect and think on that in 2 Corinthians, he says, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. 
He was stronger in me there when I realized I had nothing in and of myself to offer that I must rely totally on the Holy Spirit. And then something more amazing happened. This church in Corinth, of all places, where all kinds of evil and and craziness was happening, a church was planted. A church that had difficulty. All churches do but a church that loved God and grew and faced those difficulties and faced hard challenges and listened to counsel and, 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 and grew. A church on the move fears less when resistance grows. A church on the move fears less when resistance grows. Did you see that with Paul? When he first got there, <laughs> I came with fear and trembling. But then after he'd been there a while, the resistance grew. It got harder. They're trying to kick him out. And then he's saying, hey, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. I'm not as afraid anymore. He has more reason to be afraid than he's not afraid anymore. There's trust, strength, because when you've been walking with God for a while, Anything that comes your way, you say, God's got me. He's got this. It's going to be okay. He's not leaving me. In fact, in all this weakness, in all this trouble, with all this resistance, there is strength that comes from God, and I trust that. You know that if you've been walking with him. You've, You've learned that through the course of your life. Paul, he'd leave Corinth. He'd set sail back to Antioch. And that Gentile church was really Paul's home church there, Syrian Antioch, that he began to teach and lead with Barnabas. And and I think that after that uh, Corinthian experience, that he went back with, with this idea, that as God was building his church, God wasn't looking for these special ops, superhuman type Christians. God was just looking for people to be that watchman on the wall. People who'd be willing to sound the alarms, to blow the trumpet, to share the gospel. It's the same thing today. He's not asking you to be some kind of superhuman Christian. He's just asking you to be faithful, to be that watchman on the wall to our country, to our culture to our world, because that's what a church on the move does. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, <coughs> the opportunity to worship you this morning. We thank you for the privilege that you would call us, enable us, empower us to be your watchmen on the wall, to sound the alarm bells, to blast the trumpets of your gospel to people who need to hear it. So help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit, and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.